Hey, it's Jeff Woods. We wanted to ask you for a quick favor. We'd like to get to know you better, which is why we put together a quick quiz that literally takes less than a minute to complete. This will help us learn more about you so we can better serve you this year through our content and our ads. If you'd take one minute to pause this episode and go to theonething.com slash podcast quiz. That's the one thing with the number one in the URL.com slash podcast quiz. It'd mean the world to us. Thanks and enjoy this episode. This is the One Thing Podcast where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, we asked you where you're making excuses instead of getting results. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to episode 123 with JT McCormick. This episode, we're gonna come at your extraordinary results from a different angle. I remember back when I was in medical device sales and my income got slashed, my colleague suffered the stroke. I'm realizing I needed to go into the world of entrepreneurship. I needed to start a business and I didn't know how. After I heard that Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, I also heard of a term that I'd never heard of before, super connector. That person that just has this Rolodex that they seem to know everyone and they are able to create so much value by making connections with other people. I remember thinking that was just such a cool idea and didn't really understand how to become one myself. Until one day, I walked into a room and I saw someone who I perceived to be very successful showing up, not looking to get, but looking to give. They were looking to give more than they were looking to get. I watched how this man spoke. And in my mind, I built this model out for how you can interact with other people and be the type of person who comes from contribution. Over the next few months, I began to live this way. And you're going to hear in today's episode how that specifically played out. But it ultimately led to the day where Jay Papazan was on stage at my national sales meeting. And when I walked up to him, instead of looking to get, I looked to give. I asked him, out of everything he was working on, how could I help him? And he said they were looking for more exposure for their book. And that's when our journey began. The man you are going to meet today is another super connector. Someone who he started the Young Entrepreneurs Council, if you're familiar with YEC. He's also the founder of the Community Company. And he authored the book, Super Connector. Today, you are going to discover how you can stop networking and start building relationships that matter. With that, let's get into this conversation with Scott Gerber. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Scott, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Like I mentioned to you when we first connected, the whole reason that I'm even behind the mic right now is because when I was in medical device sales, I realized if I wanted to start a business, it wasn't going to happen by me reinventing the wheel. It was going to start by me upgrading the five people that I spent the most time with, making sure that they were business owners. Shocker. And uh, by being a super connector, I got on the phone with Jay Papazian because I knew he was looking for a CEO for a new company. And I had three people in my mind that I thought would be a great fit. And when he told me who they were looking for, he described me. And here we are today. This idea of being a super connector has been a very powerful lead domino in your life. Share with us how. You know, my first business, I failed miserably. It was my senior year of college. I had taken a business from my junior year of college, making lots of money and every rookie mistake. uh, And that all caught up with me in my senior year. I had $700 left to my name. My mother at the time, who was a real job loyalist of 30 years, she was a special education teacher in the New York City Board of Education, said, well, Scott, it's, it's time to get a real job. And I was thinking, real job? That just sounds horrible. And yet I had no idea what that even was. I had just spent the last 24 months of my life living the roller coaster, hard knocks life of a would-be entrepreneur. And I wanted to make that meaningful. So I took stock. Why did I fail? And while there were a lot of dumb mistakes, you know, spending too much, making decisions with ego, all the things that a rookie has to probably go through in some way or the other, the main thing that I assessed was that my lack of relationships, my lack of an inner circle was the fundamental reason I failed because I was never able to turn to someone, good times or bad, and actually riff with them in a trusted, small, intimate environment about what I was going through. And I sort of made that promise to myself. I was never going to allow myself again to not be surrounded by high quality people. Um, and, and not because I wanted to be a taker of their time, but just because uh, like, kind of like what you said, you want to be surrounded by people that make you better, that make you hunger for more, that make you want to work harder. And you know, look, I was hanging around with a bunch of really great guys, you know, fraternity brothers or, you know, friends from home. And, and you know, these are all wonderful people. I still hang out with many of them. But when it came to my my business life, which took up majority of my waking hours, I was like, you know, in in the left left field, like in, in the days with no one with a fly ball coming at me, uh, you know, and, and looking at the lights. I had no idea what to do. Uh, and so that was the moment where I decided the only thing I would invest real time and energy on was people. What was the one thing you did such that by doing it allowed you to form connections with people who are where you wanted to be? You know, it's interesting. I like to think of it as it wasn't one tip or tactic. I think we've become so like innate, you know, innately built around this idea that there was this, this one tip or one trick or one thing. I changed my mindset. And I don't want to make it sound like that's semantics or or guru speak. Like the first thing I actually decided to do was audit myself and realize a little bit more innately, like, am I speaking to people in a way that is conveying emotional intelligence and empathy? Am I seeming like a curious person or someone that's a transactional taker just waiting to get their business card and contact info? Like I took a minute you know, because it wasn't for lack of meeting people. I found myself in many different circles and rooms as a naturally type A person. But 
my problem was, was I actually having meaningful conversations was number one. And then number two was, was I allowing for those meaningful conversations to occur in a selective environment? And I found both of those to be sorely lacking. So that was the literal first thing I did. I said, okay, how do I figure out first and foremost how to become more curious as an individual, become more interested regardless of what the topic is because I want to learn more about the person, what makes them tick, why they're excited to wake up in the morning, the things that they care about beyond the surface level LinkedIn CV. And I also want to make sure the room I'm meeting them in or the digital environment I'm meeting them in now, that that wasn't by some fluke, luck, or lack of thinking. Because to me, those two are the secret ingredients. Because you can go to a conference of 10,000 people. You're in the wrong room, but you might stumble upon the right person. But if you can selectively pick people from the big room to invite them into like an oasis, a private space away from that noise, because you're the curator of those amazing people, and then you can facilitate meaningful engagement and conversation. Well, now you're in the right space. So that's what I began to do. My first thing was looking at all the different events and meetups and conferences and things that I was going to anyway, and starting to think smarter about how do I extract great people from those noisy environments to meet one another and meet me and see value in attending and taking their time. And that began the way in which I started developing relationships. So so to be really clear for the people who are listening to this, because that was a lot to digest, I know a lot of people who think that if they just show up for the conference or the event, that magic happens. Mistake. Mistake. What I'm hearing you say is you get in the room recognizing that if you're in a room of hundreds of people, you're one of many. And every single person there is going to want to eat at some point. (laughs) So if you can form a smaller group that's more intimate and you're the person who organizes it, not only do you facilitate an amazing experience for people, but there's incredible authority in the fact that you were the one who organized it. You become naturally the sphere of influence of the room you're in. It's an instant credibility and authority builder because you came from a place of how do I, as a human, want to interact with other humans? And the answer is not screaming and shouting over a DJ, not hanging out by a bar, you know, not doing small talk, <laughs> you know, not, it's none of those things. It's, I want to be in a space where everybody is comfortable, where they've undressed their, you know, business card mentality from their being, right? And they can open up and not feel like it's going to be like the end of days uh, or, or that they're just shout matching until they have to go and do the next thing over and over again on the assembly line of the conference. That's right. And so, you know, and so I think that this was like really my first aha moment. Wow. Humans are naturally people that love conversation, even introverts in more intimate settings. In fact, I would argue introverts love it even more in intimate settings. You know, how can we devise a way to help everyone do what they want to do, but just do it smarter and frankly, more time efficiently? I'm putting myself in the shoes of the listener. I'm imagining thinking, okay, yeah, this sounds great. And that's not going to be me. That's just, that's, that's out of my comfort zone. I want to give them an understanding of what can become possible when you have this connector's mind. You founded Young Entrepreneur Council, YC. I'd, I'd heard of it for years and years and years. And you and I got on the phone. I was like, oh, snap, you started that? Where, how did that come about? You know, like I said, I I made a promise to myself when I failed in my first business that I would never allow myself to be without great people. And so I set on a journey of surrounding myself with great people. But as part of that, I also said, I never want to allow other young entrepreneurs 
to feel as lonely as I did. And so naturally, over time in building relationships, because that's what I focused on, that was my key passion, people, people, people. It just so happened, sadly for many, obviously, that in 2009 and 10, uh, we were facing massive economic recession. And all of a sudden, you had a lot of young people in colleges uh, or recent college grads that were facing massive youth unemployment, no job prospects, all kinds of doom and gloom in the press. And I started reaching out to the press, people I had met over the course of the previous several years and said, you know, guys, there is a solution here and it's an active one. And it's this idea that a young person could go send a resume and hope for the best and be one of billions of people doing the same exercise to no avail. They can get an opening job at $25,000, $30,000 a year and be miserable. Um, or there's a third alternative that's no longer some renegade's path, and that is to be a young entrepreneur. Go out with your two hands, figure out a service business or something that doesn't take massive investment beyond your time and every waking hour and pint of blood you have, and go start a business. And people were like, whoa, that's crazy. Well, the best way to convince people that it's not crazy is to bring together all these incredible young entrepreneurs I had met over the years to show a variety of different people from, again, the, the biggest captains of industry in the tech world, but also to the guys who were removing junk using a beat up van. And you know, today they own the largest junk removal company in the United States, College Hunks Hauling Junk. So you know, it was this idea of bringing together all these people that I had met to infuse their humanity and what they've done and telling their stories and bringing awareness to entrepreneurship as a viable career path to the masses. And that just snowballed. And it became what ultimately was the Young Entrepreneur Council. The, the joke was people asked me in the press, well, you're taking these you know, entrepreneurs to colleges and universities and on TV. And well, what's it called? What's the movement? Because of course, you have to brand everything these days. Mm -hmm. what's, what, is, what is this thing? And I would say, well, it's a bunch of young entrepreneurs. No, 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 no. What is this thing? And I remember one particular person's like, no, what's it called? And right there and then I just said, Young Entrepreneur Council. And that was it. <laughs> um, and, and, but that was the goal. And, and since then, you know, it was natural that you know, these great people wanted to give back in a way that they could. But then the next natural thing, humanity kicked in. And it was not only that these people wanted to give back on their lessons learned and what they wanted uh, to share with their experience, they wanted to meet the other people that were doing the same because they were bonded by a common belief that entrepreneurship was a viable option, that it was valuable, that it was important. And most importantly, that we had curated a group of people that all not only cared about the subject matter, but were highly successful in it. And these people now wanted to meet one another. And that became the beginnings of the Young Entrepreneur Council as a business. So the point that the reason I wanted you to share that story for those of you who are listening to this is the idea that when you do one thing, the right thing, it can topple over many things. You've heard two stories here. One, which is just about realizing that you want to upgrade your five. You want to surround yourself with the right people and you go into the room and you just, you don't try to be another number. You took the environment into your control by organizing your own little oasis and forming connections. And that seems that's on a really small scale. That then can scale to the point where you want to connect more people to now scales to what YEC is today, which has made a massive dent in the entrepreneurial movement over the last eight years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the funny thing is, is that, you know, I get a lot of people that say, well, Scott, you're the 1% that did that right. You know, I love that. I love when people, you know, look at some folks that have had some level of success in their life and they assume that that is an unreachable goal because you're the successful one. Look, I'm not preaching that people should go and try to build a community-based business. Um, you know, that that's not what I'm saying. But 
I started with no greater assets. No, you know, I have no silver spoon in my mouth. My parents were, you know, regular great people, but regular, you know, uh, folks, you know, teacher and salesperson. I was born in Staten Island, not the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Like this was something that I had to do by just auditing myself every single day to realize how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted to have others view my value of what I could bring to them. And that that's not an overnight thing. I mean, this is many, many years. I mean, I often tell people, you know, in the case of this show, it makes a lot of sense. You know, just because it's one thing doesn't mean it's one iteration, right? Just because it's one thing doesn't mean it's one hour. You know, I mean, you have people talking about Malcolm Gladwell about 10,000 hours or, you know, all these different variances of how do you get to that level of success? And the reality is I've messed up some relationships. I've bastardized others. I've forgotten some over time and some I still would consider in my top five after a decade. Some I would, you know, no matter what I was doing and where in the world I was, I would pick up the phone and do whatever was needed to that person. But that's the thing. You learn. You learn how from self-awareness point of view, not only about yourself, but how others view you. You Mm -hmm. learn. Do you actually care about other people or do you say you care about other people? And most importantly, and I I view this as a, a fantastic auditing trick, something very, very simple that everybody that's listening to this can do. You can audit yourself in how you actually think when you're not on stage or when you're not talking to people and you just do this yourself quietly and no one needs to know the results. In the next five conversations that you have professionally with people you've never met before, do you find yourself waiting to ask another question because you're getting curious and you want to learn more about the person? Or do you find yourself saying, I don't see a direct way this person can help me. So I need to end this conversation and or gracefully walk away. <laughs> most and the funny thing is, most people are the latter, but they won't admit it. And I'm not look, I'm not calling you out and saying you're a terrible person. I'm just saying that there is a better truth. And that better truth is just because you are not in the world of, you know, data science, okay, that you can't have a great conversation with a data scientist. Just because you can't make a sale to someone that's not in your industry doesn't mean you can't walk away with a better understanding of someone that could be a lifelong friend or be a lifelong mentor or provide value to your life in other ways than things like money and stuff. But that's how we've been bastardized to think because the idea of networking is so lazy, so old school that I'm sure at one point back in the 50s when you were, you know, you know, doing the raccoon lodge, right? That was the cool thing. But what was that? That was a small group of people in an intimate space. Today with social media and conferences and business models like MLM built on top of this stuff, it's been bastardized just like social platforms have. So you've got to go back to the humanity of of relationship building or simply put you're buying into the system over and over again and not making any changes. Yeah, absolutely. I've, this rings so true for me. I remember when I was starting my journey to upgrade my five and I had gotten my first group of mentors. I remember one of them invited me to his holiday party and my wife came with me. I walked into the room and some of the most influential people in Orange County were in that room. And th- this guy ran... Um, you ever see the movie Jerry Maguire? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So the, 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 my mentor was... Lee Steinberg's CEO at the time. So he actually ran the agency when they were shooting it. And so I walked into the room there, you've got lots of professional players and very influential people. And I remember just showing up in every single interaction thinking, what can I get from this person? What can I get from this person? What can I get from this person? My wife actually had to pull me outside 
And she looked at me and she said, you're acting like a shark who smells blood in the water. I'm watching your eyes. When you're talking to somebody, you're looking over their shoulder, looking for the next person that you can hunt. And in that moment, she, she reminded me, she said, what was that thing that you, you saw the successful people do? I said, they showed up looking to give instead of looking to get. Yep, absolutely. And she said, what would that look like? And I was like, I'd go ask a lot more questions. I walked back in that room with just a sincere desire to show up with genuine curiosity, looking to figure out where that person needed help and how I could possibly help them. And that, it was about a week later that I met Jay Papasan and I walked up to him and asked him, what are you working on and how can I help you? And here we are today. Yep, look, I, I think what's hysterical today is again, there's a marketing lens on all of this, which is, again, bastardizing the true intent because you're playing someone else's game the moment you are buying into a certain platform's intent, right? Um, Or you're buying into a certain mindset of the way a network is supposed to work instead of just doing what you think is right. Uh, I, I find it hilarious and I've done a number of podcasts and people always ask me some version of this thing, which is, you know, how do you network differently in the online world versus the real world. And I'm just like, where else on earth would someone ask you that question? Like, in what other situation is it okay to be one person one way and one person the other, or to have a conversation one way because it's a written word versus a conversation in real life? Like, but that's what it's become, as if you've got a growth hack, you've got to convert, you've got to you've got to get the engagement, you've got to get the vanity metric. And the reality is all of that is someone else's game. Instead of just the simple answer that the best relationships are built on time, on effort and on caring. And it's not based on where you met or where you spoke or what app you're using or what mobile phone you're on. None of that crap matters. That was additive to the original human intent of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of allowing those things to be amplified, meaning the tech is amplified, your humanity should be amplified by the technology, Mm, right? Powerful. that to me is the key quintessential thing from social media to mobile devices to whatever your humanity needs to be amplified, not by technology. You should not be amplifying the technology or market speak or messaging. Those have a time and place as a company and as a spend expense on your PL as advertising or whatnot, but not in day-to-day conversations. Don't be a walking billboard. Nobody likes an MLM huckster. Nobody wants to buy your stuff the first time they meet you. If any of those things make you upset, I'm probably not the guy for you. So here is my question, because the things that got me to where I am right now is the fact that I did the things in relationships that don't scale in order to scale. The amount of time that I spent going one-on-one or the phone or sending personal video messages. And at some point that quote no longer scales. One of the things that I learned when I stepped inside of Gary and Jay's world is this idea of moving from E to P. You know, most people act entrepreneurially. They rely on their natural abilities. They try to connect with people when they, quote, have free time. And so they end up doing nothing about it. The people who achieve extraordinary results have a a model or a system that they follow purposefully. That's the Mm -hmm. shift for me to pee. What does it look like for you? What model or system do you follow personally to ensure that you are nurturing the relationships that matter most? You know, excellent question. Um, In the book, we do a lot of talking about the fact that 
connectors uh, and super connectors as we identify them are massively successful productivity hackers. They don't hack their humanity. They hack their time to create more opportunities to be human. And that's the difference. And so a few examples of, of what we learned from others and what we do internally. You know, first and foremost, one that I think is always very interesting. Um, I'm sure like you, you know, I get asked to coffees or have a drink with me or whatever. Very, very Can frequently. I pick your brain? Exactly. And 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 so the first thing I'm gonna say is, you know, there's a time and place to say yes. And there's a time and place to say no. People assume naturally that connectors are people that want to meet and talk to everyone. Those are people, if you look at like Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, there's a a diagram where the top of his pyramid and the bottom of his pyramid, those that are most successful givers and, and least successful givers are both the same exact thing. They are both on the giving, you know, the top and bottom are both givers. Um, and it's because of the fact that they want to give. The difference is, is how and when they give. Right. You have the people at the bottom of the pyramid that are always wanting to give to everyone. Therefore, they themselves cannot become successful. So they are just constantly giving, but they are not growing or becoming personally uh, successful. Those at the top that have built these successful systems around time are able to be habitually generous, but in a way that enables them to do this. And the number one way we found to be at the top of that pyramid is you have to say no more times than yes. Sometimes. Sometimes a no, and by the way, this is a system. Like, don't don't kid yourself. This is a no is a system because most people want to say yes, right? But they don't realize like commitments come with yes, ongoing commitments. And so if you're going to dedicate your time, you have to be thoughtful about who you're dedicating that time to. And sometimes a no is very helpful to people, right? Sometimes like I get emails all the time, like I would love to talk to you about how to work together. Well, what does that mean? Do you want to partner with me? Do you want to hire us? Do you want to, you know, go and have me invest in your bit? Like, what is it? So a no sometimes makes them rethink the ask. So that's number one. A no can help people become clear. It can also help eliminate them because they never really had true intent, but they were on a marketing script of trying to reach out to you. Yeah. Right? And, and, and for those of you, if you guys go back to episode 122, which was launched on March 5th, uh, we had Adam Grant on. It's titled, Adam Grant, Work Doesn't Have to Suck, Find Fulfillment in What You Do. And he walked through his criteria for saying no. Yep. There's two specific things that he asks himself so that he can clearly say yes to the most important things and say no to everything else. Yep. And and again, it should be very methodical. Another reason to say no, you know, is frankly, you don't have help to give. Like, you know, I think a lot of people want to just be good guys and be seen as good people. And they don't realize that they really don't have any value in the equation, but they're going to take their time and ultimately waste the other person's time. Right. And so so that's my first thing I would say in, in the mindset of the connector. The first system is how and when and often to say no, to be selective about not just the company you keep because you're trying to be elitist or overly exclusive, but because you know where you can provide the most value and you want to invest just like a, a startup investor would. You want to invest in the things you know. You want to invest in the people you trust. You want to deepen relationships, not go wider necessarily. So that that's the first thing. What I'm hearing you say is really, you're not buying into the number one lie of productivity, the lie that everything matters equally. I'm, I'm, hear, I'm hearing you say that most people go out feeling like every relationship matters equally, like they should be treating every person like they matter equally. And I'm hearing you say, Scott, 
It's the exact opposite. I think you can love people and want to be helpful to people, um, but not overextend yourself where, it, where you help no one at the same time, right? Because if you overextend extend yourself and your time, then you don't have time for yourself, time to become successful in your own right. And then giving yourself the proper time, like what Adam Rifkin, another connector we profile in the book, talks about five-minute favors, to build time blocks in where you can help people. So that's the second thing. Second thing is actually building real time in to help people that you want to proactively do on a regular basis. So it's not necessarily just an inbound activity when things come out, but you're going to proactively find moments, exchanges, resources, things you can do for others in your network on a proactive level because you've designed and allocated the time. That's number two. What are some of those things that you proactively time block? So I am big on wanting to help members in our various communities on a regular basis. I do a lot of reading. Uh, and so when I see things like interesting articles, I have a very good memory. So if I knew I was in a conversation you know, three months ago about AI and there's a new thing in AI, I'll read that article and be like, you know, later today, I'm going to send this with some thoughts I had to XYZ person because maybe that's helpful to them to know about this new development or new resource that mm. came out. Uh, things like that. It could be that simple, by the way. It doesn't always have to be like I'm introducing you to someone that's going to change your life. That's the other thing that's a fallacy about connectors, that we're, we're not just connectors of people. We're, we're information brokers as well, right? We're people that want to help people through whatever means is helpful. That's not always a person. That could be information, resources, a tool, whatever it is that ultimately helps. But it's because you've gathered enough context from that individual to make the assessment. Um, and, and that's the differentiator. Hmm. I think. I think I think another one, uh, which is which is a big one, is when you do want to meet exceptional people, right? And you have come up with your own criteria for what do you define as an amazing person, um, and you want to meet new people. You don't have to do everything one on one. Who says everything's one on one? I go back to where we started this interview around curating intelligent, smart, safe spaces, right? Why can't you take 10 people that did reach out for that coffee meeting that you did find interesting, just not interesting necessarily enough that you could provide hardcore value that in an hour setting? And instead of doing one coffee meeting in an hour, why not do one hour of 10 people in, an, in a group coffee meeting? So you're now back to center of influence of a core group of people. You're able to hear what others are saying. You can learn things from other people's conversations as well as guide them. And you can learn who you want to potentially invest more time in, but you've taken the same hour, but maximize the amount of conversations and interactions that can occur. So even if you can't help persons one, three, nine, and 10, the fact that they were in a room of really interesting and amazing people, perhaps the value they could extract from that room and learn or meeting other another person from that room that could be helpful longer term to them you've you've done your you've done more than than you were asked so so i think that there's ways to hack time to increase humanity exponentially same thing with a facebook group right there's no reason that you can't put like-minded people into a facebook group rather than trying to do an in-person meetup not everything these days has to be done in person mm -hmm. but if you can curate relevant conversations in a great Facebook group, guess what? Again, center of influence in a group setting, you're not guiding every conversation. You're being additive or supportive, in some cases starting, but the group can ultimately expand and take a mind of its own with proper curation, vetting, and criteria. These are just different structures that help you be your best human self. When you think about everything you've said up until this point, from recognizing that 
connecting with the right people was the lead domino to being purposeful about getting in more intimate settings, finding value and connecting other people together to scaling that, to being purposeful about how you stay in relationship, to saying no to everyone so that you can say yes to the right people. What is the single most powerful lesson you have learned that's made the biggest impact in your life when it comes to relationships? So a couple of months after I had started YEC, I had the privilege of meeting a woman named Holly Pep. And Holly was known in certain circles as a real power broker. She still is to this day. Just someone who's very giving, very philanthropic with her uh, you know, time and, and you know, knows a lot of the big A-listers around the world. And I was talking to her because I thought, like a traditional networker, right? Man, I can extract so much information of how to be her. How to how do I become her? You know, like this was the kind of thing where I was very early in learning the true value of community or how to run it properly, whatever you want to call it. Like I, I was, my thesis was still being born within me, if you will. Um, well-intentioned, but needed to learn the ropes. And I asked all these questions with some basic similarity between them, which was, how do I cheat time to be as successful as you are in doing what you do? Something along those lines. You know, how do I do what Branson did and, you know, do it tomorrow? You know, with, you know, the people that she would pal around with. And she said, Scott, the greatest lesson that people don't learn that they need to is that you can't cheat real time. And real relationships take real time. The trick that all the big people that have become successful in the world is, was two things. One, they fundamentally understood that. And two, they invested against that thesis. And so the idea of understanding our time, you know, when you're a young person thinking you're going to live forever, especially, you don't think about, oh, do I care about a meeting I'm taking between 6 and 7 p.m. tonight? But then when you do that and you say, oh, I'm going to take that same meeting block five days a week, four weeks a month, you know, 52 weeks a year. And then for any number of years, you are giving away years over time to that meeting block. But you're not thinking about it in the moment. That's just an hour of your life. But when you're thinking about the time you could be investing in the right people and put it against that time, it fundamentally changes your world because you don't have unlimited time and you're never going to get it back. And so the biggest lesson I learned from Holly and what I've lived with every single day is there is no five-minute abs formula. There is no magic juice. There is no get rich quick. You cannot cheat real time. How you use it will determine where you find your success. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Scott Gerber, author of Super Connector which you can pick up your copy at superconnectorbook.com and you can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Gerber. Folks, out of everything you heard, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to stop networking and start forming real relationships that matter? What would that one thing be for you? Remember, it was one of the first power habits that I ever formed and it it wasn't even like I went on a conscious 66-day challenge to form it because I didn't know about a 66-day challenge at that point in time in my life. I asked myself the question, can I just one time every day when I approach someone ask the question, how can I help them? 
And I remember consciously thinking, what person can I have a conversation with today where I can ask myself the question, how can I help them? Because truth is, I was that guy in the conversations that was constantly asking, what can this person do for me? And the moment I realized or couldn't see a way they could help me, I was trying to exit the conversation. That was me. That's my natural state. What was interesting was over a very short period of time, I became the type of person who in my bones, when I approach someone, I wonder what they're working on. I wonder where they need help and how I could possibly help them. That single question was the lead domino that led to me getting into relationship with Gary and Jay. And I I firmly believe that it is the reason that I am here with you right now. Something so small can have such a big impact. When we ask you the question, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to stop networking and start forming real relationships that matter, understand that there can be a profound domino effect in your life if you answer the question. What's the one thing you can do based off of this episode such that by doing it, would allow you to stop networking and start forming real relationships that matter. When you get the answer, we'll ask that you go to whatever podcast player you are using and share your answer with us in the form of a review. Say, I listened to episode 124 with Scott Gerber on relationships and I figured out the one thing I can do is X. Tell us what it is because we see every single review and we want to know what it was for you. It's also a good indicator for us whether or not this episode brought value to you. If you're one of the people who is new to the One Thing podcast, go ahead and click that subscribe button on your screen. It'll make sure that all future episodes like this automatically get downloaded to your device. And as always, folks, we we really honor you for investing your time here consuming this content. And we honor the fact that you know your greatest results come when you back it with action. How can you be the type of person who lives your one thing every day? Because the path to getting everything you want in life starts by getting one thing at a time. We'll see you in the next episode.